Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. First reading is from Psalm 16. This can be found on page 549. Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The second reading is from Acts chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 22. This can be found on page 1093. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this Sunday after Easter, you often get the B team. The B team are on duty today. Uh, the B team is very happy to be on duty. Uh, we, and we'll, we'll be very grateful to the music group who has done two instalments. They've worked very hard and they'll hear the sermon, sermon twice, which... You've got a challenge, see the difference. You work out the differences. Tell me what, what's different from it what, at 9.15. But it's always a joy to be invited back to the old pulpit. Uh, when you preach around quite a bit, uh, you must keep a very careful record of where you preach, what you preach, and when you preach it. So I do keep a record. And I notice the fact that I preached on Psalm 16 uh, in 1983, this time of the year, and we then followed it with a, with a great multimedia presentation called Alpha and Omega, which was, that was the next, all the next week, uh, for those who remember those long off days, uh, we, we were very avant-garde in those days. Well, that was 1983. I noticed the fact that I preached it, invited back to preach in my retirement in 2003, and here I am again in 2013. The three is obviously very important, 1983. 2003, 2013, I'm sending a note to Paul on the ski slopes that I expect to be invited in, 19, in 2023 to continue the uh, <laughs> procedure. Who knows? I may well be enjoying in heaven the reality and not the joy of preaching about it. But one of, apart from how often I preach from Psalm 16, it clearly was a very important psalm in Scripture. It was preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, as we've just read. He quoted from this same Psalm, and he dared to say, This Jesus God raised up of that, and all we're witnesses of that fact. Remarkable statement. Here he was within yards of the death of the tomb of Jesus, saying, He's not here, He's risen. So, the, uh, here we are on the Sunday after Easter, and Paul's already stolen my famous four words after Easter, always Easter. But it's true, we're not, we cannot go back. He's risen and He's alive forevermore. And the beauty of looking at Psalm 16 preached by Peter, preached by Paul at Antioch of Pisidia in Acts 13 is that we see how the light of the gospel of Easter goes backwards. And uh, that's the glory of, the, of Scripture. For example, in Job, you get that famous word, I know that my Redeemer lives, Job chapter 19. What did that mean to Job? You pick up a, a Bible commentary and they're all very, very, they're not quite sure why it fits there, what it means. But it suddenly comes alive when we, Christ does rise from the dead. I know that my Redeemer lives. Or Isaiah 25, verse 8, he has swallowed up death forever. What did that mean for Isaiah? But you see, we know what it means for us as the light shines backward. I go back far enough that I go back before the 11 plus. There aren't many of us alive who remember pre-11 plus days, what they called scholarship, I remember. And when you did scholarship, you had three papers. One was English or grammar. The other was maths or sums. And I was really, in all humility, good at both of those. But then there was intelligence. And I, was, I failed miserably. I was not intelligent then. I'm not intelligent now. It's too late. Uh, and I remember the intelligence test. The intelligence test, it showed uh, three, three or four match figures walking and the sun was up there and you had to draw where the shadow would be. Simplicity itself, you say. No, I didn't really understand that at all. Made a whole hash of it. 
But I do understand how the son of Jesus, S-U-N, on Jesus was the son, S-O-N, shines from the day of Jesus and makes the Old Testament live again. So that Psalm 16 has a meaning David could never have known. Peter says on the day of Pentecost, this David who wrote these words is dead and buried, his tomb's here. He's not alive now, but he's prophesying about Jesus who would be alive. And so we're looking at what I've called a glimpse of the dawn. It's a beautiful, it's a nice day today. It's a lovely day. I'm sure it was a nice dawn this morning. I think I just about saw it. But here is a glimpse of the dawn, looking on to the glorious message of Easter. And yet, if you've got Psalm 18 in front of you, Psalm 16 in front of you, it's a very personal psalm. My and I keeps coming. It's all very personal. And the refugee of verse 1 becomes, at the end of verse 11, the man who enjoys an eternal inheritance and eternal pleasures. And do you see the echo of the resurrection in verse 2? I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. That moment on this very Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, was the day when Thomas first said those great words, my Lord and my God. He hadn't been there on Easter day. He'd missed out on the great moment. He was licking his wounds. He couldn't understand. He couldn't believe that Christ had come back. And the week after Jesus comes and says to Thomas, come on, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Put your hand in the print of the nails. Put your hand in my side. It's I. And then Thomas came out with a great affirmation. My Lord and my God. True theologically, if he is risen, that's the final proof that he is the Son of God. Paul writes in Romans 1, declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. The final, convincing, ultimate proof. But Thomas went further. He didn't say, Lord and God. My Lord. My God. If it is true, then it cannot remain an interesting fact of history. If it isn't a fact of history, then we are wasting our time. And this communion service is a mere charade. But if it is true, then it can't remain just an interesting fact. My Lord and my God. And so we're going to look in this psalm as we see the sun of Easter shining into it. Two great things. That he is a Lord to be served. My Lord and my God. Jesus is Lord, the great Christian affirmation. He's a Lord to be served. And secondly, he, he, he offers a life to be shared. A Lord to be served and a life to be shared. And that's why when Peter on the day of Pentecost is preaching from this psalm, the passage we read finished, brothers, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Did you notice he said whom you crucified? Wait a minute, Peter. Not one of the people listening to you actually put the nails in his hands. It was Roman soldiers who did that. Most of them weren't even there. You crucified? He might have said we crucified if he'd been more honest. The challenge is it's a very personal thing. We cannot remain at a distance. My Lord and my God... We crucified him by our sins, but we make him Lord and God. We acknowledge him as Lord and God when we serve him. 
So what, how do we serve him? Look at these verses, verses one to three. We serve him with our priorities. We get them right. For, for, for the pilgrim David, here was security, verse one. I, I take refuge. It's a lovely picture. Here's his security. Do you know that security? When you face the real issues of life. Later on he says, I will not be shaken. Interesting, he writes another psalm, does David, in Psalm 30, verse 6. And he said, when I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Sometimes when everything's going well in our lives, we think, I shall never be shaken. I've done well. Prospects are good for the future. All is well. And then suddenly something hits us. Maybe death in the family, death in anticipation for me. And then I can't very well say I'll never be shaken. Only when we have our faith here in that which goes beyond death can we say, in you I take refuge. So his priority was there. But it's there again in verse 2. Apart from you I have no good thing. His true welfare was there. Uh, listening to the news this morning when I'm preaching on Sunday I, was, I get the news, I listen to the news in bed of course and see how, what's happening in the world around and listening to the news and you know problem of welfare cuts going uh, new problems about pension all the kind of things that we worry about can you honestly say apart from you I've no good thing my welfare is fixed there it's not uh, the psalmist saying I only care about you, other things don't matter. He's actually saying that the only good thing that lasts forever is the Lord. He is the unchanging truth and reality. That's where we need our priorities. And then in verse 3, his true true friends. As for the saints who are in the land, they're the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. I guess most of us, including Margaret and myself, have met family over this Easter time. Many of us have been, enjoyed being with family again. And I hope family have enjoyed being with us again. But the joy of the Christian community is that we are a family even beyond family. Sometimes the earthly family disappoints us. Sometimes the earthly family go through situations where we get deep sorrow. But here's the picture of family which is there. I don't know whether you you actually think about your church members or the the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. Look round. Do you think of them the glorious ones? Mostly. In whom is all my delight? Of course you do. This is the family of God. True welfare, true friendship, true security. And one day the real wealth to come. It ends with this wonderful wealth but the wealth is the wealth of an eternal inheritance. Our priorities. And secondly, in verse 4, the Lord to be served involves our praise. And uh, verse 4, it talks about those who run after other gods. Who comes first? Worship means worth-ship. We tell God what he's worth. And we sing some extraordinary things in church sometimes. Do we really believe it? Does he mean all that much to us? And do you notice what he says in that that verse? Uh, The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood. These are sacrifices, the libation. 
And in the New Testament, Paul will actually say in Philippians 2, 17, that he is a libation. He is a sacrifice. My blood is being poured out like a sacrifice. So ultimately, this Sunday after Easter, the risen Lord looks for us to find our praise in him and the offering of our lives. So we worship him by the giving of our lives as well as our, by our words. Our, our praises, our priorities, and our purposes there in verses 5 and 6. You understand verses 5 and 6 if you note the fact that the inheritance of which verse 6 speaks is something which uh, no priest ever had. In Numbers chapter 18, the priesthood in the community of God weren't allowed to have anything. They had no possessions on earth. Did you know that Martin and I bought our first, we became house owners at the ripe age of 66. We suddenly went onto the property market at the age of 66. Because when you're a clergyman, uh, you don't own your property. Uh, the, 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 the road on Chorley Drive, to Chorley Drive, doesn't belong. Uh, uh, it belongs to the church, not to the, to the person who lives there. And it's, it's a kind of throwback, you see, that the priests of the Old Testament didn't have an inheritance because God was their inheritance. And that's the picture. That here is a, the community like a priest whose only inheritance is the Lord. And the priest in the Old Testament, the priest in Scripture, is one who stands between God and the world. The priest goes to God with prayers for his people and sacrifices from his people and he goes to the world with a message from God and in scripture the New Testament scripture where the sun shines we don't have priests anymore I'm not a priest it's the priesthood of all believers and we are called to be the priests of God praying for others using your the Notice this, to become a prayer note day by day. I hope you do. And we become like priests to take the good news to others. The tremendous challenge of Easter. When on that first Easter day Jesus met the disciples, how did his conversation end? Did he say, isn't it lovely to be together again, friends? Brothers, great to be with you? Oh no. He sent them out. As my father has sent me, so I send you, and he breathed on them. And if I really believe the Easter message, if I really believe this promise of an inheritance that is there forever, then it will be my challenge to go out and share that life with others. This church offers endless opportunities to take out the good news. Please don't miss them. We have a message that because Easter is true, it's always true. A life to be shared uh, and because we have a, a Lord to be served. So what is, is this life we're going to share in these verses 7 to 11 as we go out with priestly authority? First of all, it's a life of direction, verses 7 and 8. Then it's a life of expectation and a life of satisfaction. If you like, verse 7, here is guidance. Verse 8, here is stability Verses 9 and 10, resurrection, life. Verse 11, endless bliss. And do you know that on that first Easter day, it's lovely to go back 
Jesus walking for seven miles with his disciples, two disciples, he preached to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if they had a, a tape recordings in those days, if they'd actually recorded that message? But I have no doubt that Jesus picked on this psalm and as he spoke to those disciples about all the things concerning himself, he would remind them that all these truths are there to share. A life of direction, a life of expectation, and a life of satisfaction. There's a direction, verse 7 and 8. Praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. That word instructs actually has got the note of chastises, chastises or chastens me. For the word of God isn't always comforting. It's sometimes very disturbing. But we need it for our direction. And the promise there is that uh, he will guide us. Because in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. There is my stability. Have you noticed? He's at my right hand. He's also, verse, the last verse, at God's right hand. And he's at my right hand to lead and to guide me each step of the way. And with all that, I've got a double Assurance. Now, if you are able to flick through the Bible, and I'm not suggesting you would want to do it, but if you'd like to flick on to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, which is further on the New Testament, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, turn back uh, and you get to 1 Peter chapter 1 and you get uh, two interesting verses, verses 4 and 5, where it talks about this inheritance, but it puts it beautifully. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, if you haven't, well, it's all right. I'll tell you what it says. Here, Peter promises, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he promises an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Now, just note those verses. Verse 4, the inheritance is being kept. Verse 5, we are being kept. Same word in the Greek. The inheritance is kept. And we are being kept. So this is my assurance for the future. He's got my inheritance safe. And he's watching over me to bring me to that inheritance. So however many days, I ha I, whether I shall be here in 2023 to preach for Paul, for, for, Peter, for Paul on that day, I doubt it very much. But whatever the future holds, he's my inheritance. It's safe. And I'm safe. Because I'm in his hands. Doesn't that matter? Here is my little cricket reference that I have to mention now because it's been, it's been prefigured by, by Paul. I have my uh, one uh, cricket. He was obviously listening at 9.15. I have my one cricket. I got a notice in the press yesterday to point out, to remind me that Wisdom's Cricketers Almanac are now on sale. And I... I We'll have to get my Wisdom's Cricketers Almanac. Uh, and there was a comment in this uh, preview in the newspaper, which I thought was a little over far-fetched. If you know anything about, did you know what a Wisdom's Cricketers Almanac was? Well, it's a, a story of all, this, all the records of the, the games of the last season. It runs to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. And I have all the copies way back to 1880-odd, uh, all stacked up in a, in a bookcase. 
Uh, and every now and again, Margaret threatens to get rid of them. Uh, and I stand by them and I say to Margaret, these wisdoms will go out over my dead body. She says, they will go out over your dead body. <laughs> so should you, should you hear of my demise, there are wisdoms there. And if you didn't know, wisdom is always a yellow cover. Sorry, I'm getting excited. It's a yellow cover. And uh, the, the, the little printed, the pin in the paper, rather nonsensically says, you see, isn't that w- yellow cover a beautiful note of stability in a disorderly world? Fancy. Much as I love wisdom, I don't get hold of my wisdom and say, how stable and how wonderful. I have a, a greater sense of stability in a disorderly world, which is not my wisdom not at all. They do call it the cricket, cricketer's Bible, but that's a bit exaggeration. But you see, there is something that is an inheritance which is kept for me, and I'm being kept for that. That is the stability in a disorderly world, a life of direction. Secondly, in verses 9 and 10, it's a life of expectation. We're looking on to the future. Now, Peter on the day of Pentecost said, this couldn't be true of David because his body's here and dead. His body is seeing decay. But here's the expectation. If we belong to Christ, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, the great and glorious hope. As a promise in in the Proverbs of the, of the light, Proverbs 4.18, the path of righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, that's my title, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. That expectation. And here's the promise of the psalmist that God will not abandon me to the grave nor let his Holy One see decay. David died. Jesus didn't decay. His body doesn't remain in the tomb. He has been raised from the dead and because he's been raised from the dead and this has happened, we can share that glorious note of expectation. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible about resurrection life is 1 Corinthians 15. I often use it when leading services for thanksgiving of those who've died by faith, in faith in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15 links together beautifully the historic resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the body for Christians. It's actually trying to prove not that Jesus rose from the dead, he assumed they believe that. It's there to prove that we have a risen body if we're in Christ, that we actually will share his resurrection body. And therefore, in one sense, our body will not see decay because we have this glorious hope and David can say, you have made known to me the path of life. Not just the path to life, the path of life. Do you share that expectation? Some of you remember Keith Way, who was a good loyal member of this church who died just a few days ago. First time I met Keith Way, uh, he was uh, sitting somewhere down there, not far from where my wife is sitting now, and I spotted a new face. I enjoyed spotting a new face and uh, had a word, but he was very impressed that I spotted a new face and eventually Keith became a very loyal member of our church. Well, he's now passed to his rest and I was privileged to be there only just before he died. And we talked a bit about the service in a fortnight's time of thanksgiving and it will include a passage he wanted in Romans chapter 8, this great passage in Romans 8, which talks about nothing ever separating us from God's love in Christ Jesus 
And when I was able to pray last with Keith, we didn't sort of look to the past and all those days, we looked to the future. And I could pray with him about his sure and certain hope. Do you share that expectation? Do you believe? Just sometimes I get worried. Nowadays we're making funeral services into constant eulogies, just looking to the past, thanking the past. When it ought to be a great affirmation of our belief in the future. Non-Christian services talk about the past. A Christian service thanks God for the past but looks on to that glorious resurrection life. And therefore we may enter into that life of expectation now. Which leads on to my last point. It's also a life of satisfaction. For the Christian, the best is yet to be. And here's the promise of this path to life. And there in verse 11, yes, there will be eternal pleasures at God's right hand. Did you notice that? You will fill me with joy in your presence. Not just then, but now. There will be the glorious wonder of that day one day. But now, Jesus said, I'm come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So, My eternal life doesn't begin when one day I leave this world. My eternal life began the day when as a teenager I gave my life to Jesus. That was the beginning of eternal life. And I'm now walking with him to heaven. I hope you have that joy and the assurance. And that therefore the satisfaction comes, not just one day we shall enjoy it, but now we have that eternal life. That's why you can have this marvellous picture of uh, here's the pilgrim of verse 1, now with this glorious inheritance in verse 11, that we are only pilgrims, we're only passing through, and the things that abide are the things of God. I uh, noted the fact that uh, when I last preached on this 10 years ago, I kept all these notes. We actually sang a hymn. We don't sing anymore. Uh, sort of modern hymns come and go, don't they? The, old, the oldest tend to sort of hang around for a long time. But modern hymns cease, soon cease to be modern. And we sang 10 years ago. Do you remember these words? Into your hands I place the future. The past is nailed to Calvary. That I may live in resurrection power. No longer I, but Christ in me. I'm going to pray that in a moment as a prayer to lead into prayers that Rosemary will take up. That was a song which has passed by. But then we're going to move into communion. And have you ever noticed that communion links all the tenses of Scripture? The communion service takes us back to the upper room. It takes us back to the cross. It keeps on telling us of Christ's death once for all. The past is nailed to Calvary. My hope of heaven is not because I've done decent things in life. God knows all the good and the bad. But because he's died for me, that's my assurance. So the once for all sacrifice of the past, but also it looks on. The communion service looks on till he comes. We proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That glorious day when he will come in all his splendor. But also in between, it's to do with now. We break the bread and we drink the wine in fellowship together and we, as it were, together commit ourselves to pilgrimage 
in with the life of Jesus. This is only symbolic. The communion service is only a, a symbol, a reminder of the real thing. You can take communion without any response at all. And you can be a Christian, though it be a sad thing, without even communion. But what really matters is that I found his life within me. How often have I mentioned, let me mention it again. I've been privileged to be at many impressive communion services. I remember taking, being there with a man who in the war had fought uh, and knew the, the, the awesomeness of, of, of battling on the front. But I remember more the, the testimony of the man who was out, uh, he, he was out with the, in the Middle East and he was a prisoner of war in Japanese hands. And he remembered with deep affection the moment when he went to the most moving communion service he'd ever been to, when there was no church and no priest and no bread and no wine. And you say, how can you have a communion service without minister and church and bread and wine? But they, a few Christians together, knowing they might, ne- they might never meet again on this earth, and they never did, they broke rice mould and they poured cold tea and they remembered. And he would always say to me, Harry would say to me, that was the most moving communion service I've ever been through. Even more moving than communion at Keswick with all its thousands. I hope this service is moving to you. But what matters is not the bread and the wine. What matters is the loving Lord Jesus whose death we remember, whose resurrection we rejoice in. And he wants to be with us. I'm going to end with a prayer and I want to make it your prayer and then Rosemary will go on to pray for us. Just let's bow our heads as I pray this, say these words that we sang 10 years ago. Into your hands I place the future. The past is nailed to Calvary that I may live in resurrection power. No longer I but Christ in me. All that I am I lay before you I now enthrone you. Take my life, my living sacrifice to you. Amen.